0: Well hello everybody, welcome to the Mark Leverage January 2016 podcast. First of all, obviously, Happy New Year. Uh, and for those of you who are only just listening to this in April, because you've only just got back from a riotous New Year's Eve party, I hope you had a great time. It's funny isn't it, every year I suppose we, uh, we know what's coming, uh, the start of a new year. Twelve months ahead of us, probably all sorts of things are going to happen, some of which we can anticipate and others of which we can't. But I I must admit, probably like you, uh, I I tend to look back at, in this case, 2015, and I, I find myself ruminating, well, was it a good year? um quite often of course there can be things in your personal life as well as in your in your sort of working life which can color how you feel about a year but if you take away all the extraneous things and just think about magic and of course for me magic is work as well but for you it may just be your hobby and um, sometimes it's quite interesting to reflect well was it a good year for magic did i go to all the conventions i wanted to go to Did I read that book that I bought at Blackpool last year or is it still in the bag or still sitting on my shelf and I haven't opened it yet? Did I get the number of shows that I was hoping to get and to work this year? Semi-pros, that may not be an issue, but for full-time pros like me, that sometimes is an issue. And uh, there are all sorts of other things which um, you tend to reflect on. Certainly I do when I'm looking back over a year and I decide whether it's been a good year or not. And then having decided whether 2015 was a good year, colours the way I now think about 2016. I mean, for instance, for me personally, last year was not quite as good in terms of the number of bookings that I got, the number of shows that I did. It was a reasonable number, but it wasn't quite as many as the previous year. And the previous year had not been a sort of super incredible year it had just been it'd been a quite a good year, but it hadn 't been utterly brilliant or amazing so that was slightly disappointing so it will lead me to look at where i 'm advertising um, what i 'm advertising, um, am I going to into the right marketplace with the right advertising to attract the sort of clients that I want. And we all know how difficult it is these days to get publicity right and to attract the right sort of people to make inquiries and from that to make bookings. So um, that'll be something that I think that I will uh, be thinking about a bit more in 2016. And then there are other things too, such as um, how many tricks do I want to release this year? I've got a few ideas and a few products that uh, I would like to bring out. Um, for instance, the fourth volume uh, of my Collected Card Magic series. Um, the first three volumes uh, have been out a while now. And um, I think um, last year I was—I told myself at the beginning of the year, volume four is definitely going to come out this year. But you know what it's like with these things. Sometimes you, you make promises to yourself, but do you always do them? No, you don't. And so the year went on. I kept thinking, oh, I must do that. I must do that. I never actually got round to it. And in fact, I did have one customer who wrote to me and said, where's volume four? I, I, I'm waiting for volume four. So um, and I wrote to him and I said, tell you what, I promise you it will be coming out this year. Uh, and of course, that is one way to get things done is to promise it, tell people about it, um, promise it to a people who are interested um, and even better set either to yourself or to others um uh, a deadline it will appear in and then create a date that's certainly the best way to get things done so uh, there are lots of things like this that go through my mind and, and i think for all of us um, what constitutes success can vary from one year to the next some years i'm, I'm very product uh, sort of um, intensely product focused and other years not so much um and and so depending on on what the focus is is going to be in 2016 and to be honest with you i don't actually know at the moment but i'm going to work on it soon then um, once i've decided on that then i can start to map out the year and at this time of year it's also the same time of year that my wife and i always sit down and and try to block out periods when we're going to go away uh, fit in holidays because as anybody who takes bookings will know um bookings can come in sometimes quite a long way in advance and you don't want to block up all your potential free time by putting one show in the middle of a time when it was turned out to be the only time you could go away so there are all sorts of things to think about and i'm sure that like me you too are considering your year ahead hopefully making some plans um and uh and it's it's nice to do that because then i think it gives you a sense of purpose for the year ahead uh, and a sense of a goal at the end of the year i would like to have done x y and z so um if you've got your list maybe of magic uh, goals for the, for this year write them all down and then see this time next year how many of them you actually achieved one of the uh, hugely frustrating things that uh, all performers must experience is when you get somebody who makes an inquiry for a show and when you look in your diary you're already booked and it's at this point that you have a, a decision to make because you can just write back to the client and say, "I'm very sorry, uh, unfortunately, I'm already booked on that day, so I won't be able to help you." Which is fine, and I do do that sometimes. But there are other times when you sort of feel that it would be quite nice to be a bit helpful and recommend somebody else. And if in your area you have two or three magicians who you know would do a good job, and you know exactly what the type of act that they that they do, and you know that they would fit this booking really well, then you could always, of course, recommend them and say to the potential booker, well, look, I can't do it, but if you'd like to email or or call this particular person or this particular person, they may be able to help you. They'll do you a very good job. Now, if you have total confidence in the people that you're recommending, that's great, And uh, and I've done this for many years with one or two of my closer friends in magic. Uh, And it's worked very well. You know, whenever we get a booking, they will pass theirs to me that they can't do. And I will return it in the same way. But. There is another issue here and that some people uh, and these and we're not talking about agencies here because obviously you know a lot of agencies start by a performer who perhaps is getting generating a lot of inquiries and then gets frustrated that he or she can't actually fulfill them all and so sets up an agency so that they can make some money off the recommendations and they start running a small agency so that they can as i say get some money out of farming the bookings out. But if um, uh, you don't actually have an agency, um, do you think it would be right to cream a certain percentage off a booking that you've simply passed to a friend? I mean, it's an interesting thought, this, isn't it? Because in a way, if the person gets that booking and they only get it because you have given their name over to a potential booker, then are they not entitled to receive 10%? 15% Fifteen percent, maybe almost like an agency fee, even though they're not an agent. I mean, personally, I, I don't think it's a good idea because I think it it changes the relationship between you and your friend who you're passing the uh, the potential work to. But it could well be that um, you see it as another income stream if you're if you're keen to make some money. And I suppose you could say, well, yeah, but I'm I'm giving over the information. Uh, I'm going to recommend this person uh, because this person knows I will charge them 10%. So that's an interesting thought. So what do you do? If you pass a booking to somebody else, do you expect them to pay you something for it? I know I don't because I sort of feel, well, I may go through a period where I recommend a friend of mine for two or three bookings and nothing comes back the other way. And then all of a sudden, six months later, several bookings or inquiries come from him. As long as you you feel it's a two-way street, then I don't see any reason really why you should be charging uh, a commission. Unless, of course, you've set yourself up as an official agency business, in which case I think it changes the rules. So what do you do? If you pass a show on, do you charge a commission to your friend? Isn't magical creativity incredible and amazing? When you think about the number of new products that reach the marketplace... Um, As editor of Magic Scene, I see an awful lot of products which um, we review uh, in the magazine each issue. And some of them I review myself and others I pass on to the rest of the review team. But there seems like an almost insatiable demand, apparently, from the paying public to to have new ideas. And there are certain people who, um, for a period... Seem to be incredibly creative. They come up with some wonderful ideas, uh, and in, often in huge volumes too. And, and I think about creativity. Uh, I've based my entire business on only selling my own ideas, and um, and when I very first started um, selling magic back in in sort of nineteen eighty. Um that was a, a decision I made that rather than just be a general dealer, I thought, well, my USP is going to be I'm only going to sell my own ideas. And at the time when I when I went pro in 81, um, I, I was thinking about this and I, I thought well, I've got to be careful here, because at the time I had a huge number of ideas. Uh, lots and lots of them and they seem to be falling out of me and I was writing stuff down and in notebooks and 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 coming up with all sorts of variations on on a theme Uh, and it was a very exciting time I think when you're young you do get a tremendous if you are creative in any way you often get quite a quite a creative surge The problem is, uh, and the thing that I sort of thought about at that time was, if I'm going to make a career out of this, and if I'm going to stick to only selling my own products, how am I going to make that last for a career? How long is my career in magic going to be? I didn't know at the time. I didn't know if it'd be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Well, I'm nearly 35 years in now, uh, and I'm still here. So um, that creativity that I rely on I've had to kind of stretch it over a long period. And I can remember in the early days, I might have a dozen new ideas which were all basically marketable. And what I used to do was I would restrict the number that I would market. You get excited about them and you think, oh, I want to get all these out into the marketplace. And I could, I suppose, but I didn't have a lot of hard work, have released A dozen tricks in a year and at the time companies like uh, supreme magic for instance would sometimes release a hundred new items in one go now of course ian and edwin were not devising all of those themselves they were buying in an awful lot of products from other creative people around the world but that was what i was competing with but i thought to myself no it's okay i'm going to release a small number and i used to release tricks twice a year to coincide with the Blackboard Convention and with the IBM Convention when I was still going to the British Ring. And and I would release three or four items at each stage and I would keep back, I would hold back other things and be patient with them and then release them the following year or even the year after that. So at any one time I always had uh, a sort of little mini stockpile of ideas in order to sort of stretch out the creativity uh, process so that I didn't have sort of feast and famine, lots of ideas one year, and absolutely nothing the next. And this idea about um, making creativity last, I'm quite fascinated by this. Um, there are certain people who who manage it. Uh, I think about people like Jay Sankey, who has an amazing who has been around for years and years, and who has an amazing capacity for taking a, perhaps an object and coming up with umpteen variations using either a move or the object itself. Um, people like him and one or two others, Richard Sanders perhaps in Canada, um, and several others I can think of who who have over a long period of time consistently brought out new things. But as a general rule, and it's a bit I liken it a little bit to music really, it's a bit like um artists such as say Elton John, who would be writing his own material, has written his own material for decades, um and some of the other big bands have done the same thing, have stretched their careers over 30 or 40 years. Unbelievable, especially in the pop world. And the other end of the scale are boy bands and girl bands who who are completely saturate the marketplace for two or three years. And then basically they're dumped and the next boy band or girl band takes over from them. And what I didn't want to do when I first started out was to be like that. I didn't want to have a tremendous surge of of, of interest and surge of stuff, stuff which I brought out, and then suddenly there'd be nothing. And the whole of my career, and, and I still do it now. I love this this idea of finding different ways to to interest my customers and to and to keep my own interest in the crea- creative process going. Um, it really is great fun, and I, and I think there are all sorts of things that make me creative. You know, uh, sales is obvious one of them, but another one that is I find a huge motivation is when I'm because I'm a performer, finding tricks that will fit performing situations. You know, if I start to get a bit bored with some of the tricks I'm using, say table hopping or something like that, then I think let's 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 think of something new. What objects am I carrying? What could I do create that would be new? That would be interesting to me. And that's often how new tricks come about for me these days. It's, it's taking a situation and filling that situation, that performing situation, with a new piece of magic. And it only then comes perhaps to the marketplace if I think that others might be interested in it. So, uh, yeah, the creative process, the, these youngsters at the moment who are bringing out so many ideas, I'll be fascinated to see whether they're still around in 10 years' time. One of my favorite things to do is to present magic lectures. Uh, I've been doing them since the late 1970s. And, um, and for me, the, the process of um, imparting information about the magic that I do to others, the teaching of magic via lectures or workshops or whatever it might be, I really, really enjoy that process and um, I, I am a fully trained um, uh, teacher, and um, and for a couple of years, um, I, I did teach in a comprehensive school before I turned pro in magic, um, but although I left teaching, the teachings never left me, and I've always enjoyed, as I say, doing lectures, and I've done them, I've been very fortunate, I've done them all over this country, and I've done them all over the world, in fact, and one of the things that um, that I was really keen to do and which I instigated last year was the, um, the opening of my Mark Leverage Magic Academy here in Exeter. Um, we have a purpose-built um, teaching room and I thought it would make an ideal base for small group lectures and workshops. And I had three um, scheduled events in September, October and November on different themes last year. And, uh, but this year I, I, I'm going to do something and I'm broadening out it into a slightly different direction because um, one of the things that I've been doing locally is to present magic workshops in schools. Um, it's sort of like an extracurricular event and um, usually it's aimed at sort of sixth form children or slightly younger, say 14, 15-year-olds. And um, either as a motivational sort of um, thing to do with the kids or literally to teach them some handling skills, magical skills. Um, The kids absolutely love it. There's a tremendously high uh, interest in in magic, of course, uh, amongst young people. Harry Potter, obviously, was responsible for a huge surge, uh, and he is still popular now, even though the the films are no longer current. But I think um, the television performances of people like Dynamo and Troy uh, and Darren Brown and David Blaine and all these other people have have certainly brought the viewing public and this includes young people as well their attention to, to what magic is like and how fantastic it can be and some people think oh I'd really like to have a go at that and so um, this year I'm starting to do um, to set up some workshops which um, some of which are going to be aimed at adults and some of them are going to be aimed at um, young people from the ages of 11 to 17 And the idea is to give them a forum. They can come to a three-hour session at the academy and I will be um, helping them to start on the path of an interest in magic. it, I'm really excited about this because I can remember what it was like for me back in the 60s when I was a, when I was a kid. I, had, I didn't have access to much information. And although the kids these days can go onto the Internet and they can, they can look up how tricks are done, it's all very um, scattergun, I think. It's, it's very impersonal. And in, to my way of thinking, there, there is no quicker way, especially, I think, when you're a beginner and you don't really know what you're doing and you're not quite sure what's involved. There's no quicker way than face to face having somebody saying, no, don't hold it like this, hold it like this, or try and move it like this and do this, do that. So that the, the, the rate of progress and improvement is much, much quicker. So I've got uh, in January, I'm holding um, an event for adults. Uh, and that's on um Sunday the tenth of January, and then on Sunday the seventh of february i'm doing a let 's make magic a junior workshop for for eleven to 70, uh, eleven to seventeen year olds um I suspect that most of the people who come uh will be local um because of where it is but um that's not to say that obviously people could come from anywhere they like, and the idea is to to start to teach them a few skills. To do with magic, and they need no experience at all. In fact, it is a total beginner's class, Uh, and it'll be fascinating to see um, whether people get switched on to this, and whether we can start to encourage some people to get uh, involved in magic, which will all be, I think, to the good of magic societies um, and magic clubs generally um, in the area. Great minds think alike. I uh, one of I make a list of the things I, I want to talk about in each podcast. And uh, I usually, as the month goes on, as I I think of things or as as situations occur, that I think, oh, that would be interesting to talk about that, then I make a note of it. Because otherwise, when I come to record the podcast, if I don't make a note of it, I'm not going to remember the things I wanted to talk about. And one of the things that I'd written down was I thought, oh, it would be interesting to talk about how fantastic the amount of live magic is currently and how in the UK... There seems to be um, live magic shows, both large and small, just about everywhere. Um, before I could get to the point of recording this podcast, I noticed that um, Duncan Trullo had written on one at the bottom of one of his um, pre-Christmas um, Magic Week um, posts all about exactly the same thing. And I thought, oh gosh, people are going to think I'm copying him. But it really doesn't matter. He and I obviously think the same thing, and he would see firsthand because he gets all the information sent to him, of course, uh, and he advertises and publicises all these various events. But it is incredible. If you look back at Magic Week, every week there's announcements of, as I say, either large or small shows, famous people going out, doing people like Darren Brown, Dynamo doing big tours. And then you've got one-off events by local magic clubs or organisations. You've got individuals who are doing a much lower key, perhaps just a few um, select venues, venues themselves putting on like Smoke and Mirrors in Bristol, for instance, um, who put on regular magic shows. Uh, it's absolutely amazing the, the diversity and the number of different um, shows that are going on. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, In in many ways, you would think that perhaps the amount of uh, magic on television, and it it seems to go through phases, doesn't it? You go through a period where there's a lot of magic on TV, and then perhaps you go through a period where there isn't so much for six months or a year. Um, But there's been some very high profile and very successful magic shows. Um, I mean, Palantella Foolus has been hugely popular, uh, and Dynamo shows on Watch, uh, the Watch Channel and so on, have got huge... Um, and numbers of people really hooked into his style of magic. And, of course, that's why he's sold out all of his venues on his big tour. So it's it's great that magic is so popular. And, and I don't know whether the TV creates the desire in the public to go and see magic shows so the magic shows are created, or whether it's the other way around. Because there are so many live magic shows, people get into magic and start watching it on the telly. I don't know which way around it is. It's probably a bit of both. But I'm really, really pleased that there are so many magic shows, because I think for all of us, anybody who does magic, um, if somebody goes to see the illusionists in the West End or something like that, um, and they think, oh, I really would like to, to, to have some magic at my wedding or at my 50th birthday party or whatever. And then, of course, they're going to turn right. Who are the local magicians? Who can I contact? So it's great for all of us. And I hope that this trend will continue well into the next few years. Now, of course, it's all very well there being a general surge of interest in magic uh, amongst the general lay public. But for us to actually get the bookings that this might generate, um, well, we've discussed this before and talked about how the demise of Yellow Pages has made the whole thing way more complex. And not only are there now... um, umpteen different ways that you can publicize yourself and get your information out there and um, the other thing is that it it now requires you to be i think to be constantly thinking about it and having campaigns rather than say one-off advertising because there is so much advertising noise out there and not just from magicians but from everything the internet is awash with uh, with a publicity of all different types. People's inboxes are constantly bombarded by um, information about things that people can buy, and for us to to get our ourselves noticed in amongst all this noise is not easy. And whether we're using um, you know press releases or um, paid for advertising, whether we're going to do a lot of online stuff through, say, social media or through advertising on various specific websites, such as wedding websites, obviously through our own website, whether you're going to do networking, whether you're going to um, write blogs, get yourself uh, sort of involved in that area, Um, whether you're going to be uh, sort of contacting previous customers and, and, and getting them involved in a newsletter. There are so many things you can do, but the one thing that you absolutely have to do, I think, is to do it, consistently you know that the the one put an advert in yellow page one fix forget about it for 12 months until they come calling for the next year's uh, renewal just doesn't work anymore it's way more uh, time intensive and if you're not careful you can spend a lot of time you can waste a lot of time doing it too and um, and so trying to hone in on well what is the most effective thing what has in the last 12 months produced the most income in terms of shows Okay, can I do more of this and how can I get at the people that I need to get up in the most effective way? Is it Facebook ads? Is it is it going to be um, Google AdWords? There are so many decisions to be made. And I think unless we're prepared um, to to keep on tinkering with it all to evaluating, to evaluate it all uh, and to keep on thinking, is this still the right way to go? Um, I think it's a process of diminishing returns if you're not careful because one thing will not fix everything and lots of things have got to be taken into consideration it's really hard and um, but there you are that's what it's like trying to get shows in, in the modern day and age so the phone rings and you pick it up and there's a, a very nice sounding lady on the other end and she says oh hello are, 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 you're a magician i believe and you say yes yes that's right and She says, oh great um we're having an event um on the 24th of next month and uh in some place or other that's near where you live and they say um and she says uh, are you, are you free and you say well let me just have a look in my diary uh, yes yes i am free what do you have in mind well we're having a dinner and we're looking for a magician to go around the tables and um, would you be able to 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 do something like that is that what you do uh, yes yes i do so oh lovely now we're a charity and what we're looking for and i with the best will in the world don't you at that point think oh no because you've fallen into the charity trap um the charity trap is where they don't instead of Some people, instead of telling you up front, hello, I'm from XYZ charity, we are putting on an event, they make an inquiry as if it's just a normal inquiry to suck you into saying, yes, I can do it, yes, this is the type of thing that I do, you know, and I'm free. And then they hit you with, by the way, we're a charity, can you do it for next to nothing? I think actually, to be honest, there are some charities who really do try it on because they're all worthy causes. And I have nothing against um helping out charities that for instance I'm personally interested in but as performers we do get asked quite a lot and when you're a full-time pro um it's very difficult you cannot afford to be going out doing lots of shows for next to nothing but on the other hand you don't always know as i say when you get to this point where they've kind of into the charity trap they kind of suckered you into it slightly now How do you extract yourself from that without sounding hard-hearted, not interested, and so on? So um, uh, one thing that has changed, I think, over the last 10 years is that charities do realise that they need to spend some money to get good quality, whether it be entertainment, catering, whatever it might be for their events. And some of the bigger events that go on, they do realise that they charge a higher ticket price, and they do realise that Maybe 50% of the money they take is going to have to go on actually putting on the event. Because if you expect people to pay a lot of money to to come to a special evening, then you need to have good quality people. And you only get that if you pay for it. So um, what I tend to do is I have a charity rate. And uh, so I never, virtually never work for nothing. And then I will adjust the charity rate according to, to whether I feel like I can help and whether I feel I'm able to, in that particular month, to take on something like that. But you have to beware of the charity trap, don't you? Otherwise, you really can get caught out and it can be a bit embarrassing. Well, that's the January podcast. Thank you ever so much for spending a few minutes with me uh, and listening to all that lot. Um, I'm hoping that uh, you're going to have a fantastic 2016. And uh, I will be back next month with some more of my my ramblings. And I hope to uh, have the privilege of having you join me for that. So have a good January. See you in February. Bye for now.